The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His face was shining like the sun, his clothing became as white as the light. Just then, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Just then, a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up, and do not be afraid. When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. With every paycheck, she could have more. She could buy a little better stuff. She could eat out at least once more a week at a nice restaurant. But instead of doing that, she allows a pretty good chunk of every paycheck to get carved off the top and dropped into a retirement account. He could, and would he ever like to, go five or six rounds at the dessert table. But he knows that summer is coming, and he wants to look presentable when he goes to the beach. So he turns away after just one little cookie, and not even a good one either, one of those little raisin cookies. <laughs> she could go running around town with her friends every Friday and Saturday night, and she would really like to do that. She would. But instead, she stays behind in the dormitory, and she spends those nights studying. She does it so that she will graduate on time, maybe even a little early, seven semesters instead of eight, and then she will be able to go out into the world and, and make money and be a success. This goes by different names, right? Delayed gratification, sacrificing for the future, but we know the concept that there are a lot of different places in life where you can choose to do without something good, or at least do with less of it in the short term, and then you get to reap the harvest, all the rewards in the future, in the long term. So when our Savior Jesus is standing on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, he has something really good. He has glory. And he has a lot of it. St. Matthew writes, his face was shining like the sun, his clothing became as white as the light. So first, the glory is visible in Jesus himself, his skin, his face, and in his clothing. But then, the glory starts swirling all around him, too. Just then, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah represent the entire Old Testament. Back at Jesus' time, they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament because there wasn't a New Testament yet. So instead, they called it the Law and the Prophet. Moses, he is the great law giver of the Old Testament, and Elijah is the great prophet. So now, Jesus also has the honor of being what the Old Testament is all about. 
stop there. Because then, the Heavenly Father speaks from above, and he speaks words that are almost exactly the same as what he said way back at Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. Now, those words at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and these words toward the end, the Father is placing bookends on the work of the Son. This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. The Father confirms Jesus' glory as the Son of God. Jesus is the perfect Son who pleases his Father every way. And he should be listened to because he speaks the truth of God. All of this glory in Jesus' appearance, Moses and Elijah, the voice of the Father, for the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus has brought up the mountain, at first, all of this glory is beautiful, and then after a while, it becomes scary. When Moses and Elijah appear, it is so beautiful that one of those disciples, Peter, he wants to preserve the glory. He wants to make it last. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And here, St. Peter is actually doing something that you rarely accuse Peter of doing. He is understating the case. Because it's not just good to be on the mountain. It's pure glory, up and down and back and forth and inside and out. It's pure glory for Jesus. But by the time the third round of glory comes, you know, the third big shot of glory when the Heavenly Father speaks from above, then it overwhelms Jesus' sinful disciples. It's actually scaring them now. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. And it's no wonder. There's only so much glory that a human brain can process. At first it is beautiful, but then finally it overwhelms Jesus' disciples. So Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up and do not be afraid. The purpose of all this glory on the mountain is not to scare Peter, James, and John. Jesus does not want them to be frightened. So when that happens, Jesus, out of love, approaches them, touches them and speaks gentle and encouraging words to them. Jesus does not want this to scare them, but he definitely wants the glory of the mountain to make an impression on these three disciples. He definitely wants them to remember what they see on this day. And he wants us to remember the glory of the mountain too. Why? When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. Suddenly, the glory is all gone. And the closing verse of the gospel starts like this. As they were coming down the mountain. The disciples will need to remember the glory that they see on this mountain. And so will we. Because Jesus lets it go. The bright face, the bright clothing, gone. Moses and Elijah, gone. Voice of the Father from above falls silent, and Jesus lets it all go and climbs down the mountain with his disciples. And what we and they will see next is not only inglorious, it's devastating. And it's brutal. What those disciples and we are going to see next in the season of Lent is Jesus rejected by his own nation, by his own chosen people. They and we are going to see Jesus wrestle in prayer in the garden. And then we are going to 
Pharisee who's betrayed by one of his disciples and abandoned by the next. And then we are going to see Jesus falsely accused and sentenced to die to be executed in arguably the most humiliating and painful way that the twisted human brain has ever come up with to kill somebody. Jesus not only leaves the glory of the mountain, but he leaves it to climb down into amazing humiliation, suffering, and death. And in order for that to happen, Jesus has to let the glory of the mountain go, right? Because who would ever betray someone whose face and clothes were shining like heaven, right? Who would ever arrest somebody who had Moses and Elijah in their entourage? Who would ever crucify somebody who had the voice of God booming above them? So Jesus has to let, for any or all of those things to happen, Jesus has to let the glory go. But the glory will come back. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. For the glory, Jesus is shutting it down so thoroughly that he doesn't even want it to come through in the words of Peter, James, and John. He doesn't even want them to talk about the glory that they have seen on the mountain. But the glory will come back when Jesus rises from the dead on Easter. After that day, Peter, James, and John will tell the glory that they saw on the mountain. Peter told us in his letter that we just heard. And Jesus' followers are going to tell this glory over and over and over again for 2,000 years at least. And when Jesus rises from the dead on Easter, he gets glory for himself the risen Son of God. When Jesus ascends back into heaven, then he gets full glory again. He gets to rule over all creation. The glory has come back to Jesus. It has come back in full, and it has come back forever. So then, how should we see our Savior Jesus? Should we see him as some kind of retirement saver? Or a sure cookie, or a steady studier? Is he someone who gives up something good, he gives up his glory in the short term, so that he can get it back in the long term. Kind of, but there's a lot more to it than that. If you think about it, if all Jesus was after was glory for himself, why would he have ever left the glory of heaven in the first place? It doesn't really make any sense, right? If all Jesus wants is glory for him, he already had it in heaven. He had eternal glory as the Son of God. But for Jesus, the greatest glory, the highest glory, is when he gives it to others. Jesus is about to suffer and die and rise in glory so that we will have glory too. See, because Jesus dies on the cross, when our bodies give out, our souls get to live on in the glory of heaven. Because Jesus rises from the dead, we will rise one day too, in glory, just as he did on Easter. See, in the heart of Jesus Christ, the greatest glory is when you share it. When he shares it with people he loves. Sinful human beings who otherwise have no way of ever reaching this glory, of ever achieving it. So Jesus climbs down from the glory of heaven, and he climbs down from the glory of the mountain so that he will get it back bigger and better in the future because he gets that glory for us. And he gives it to us, too. 
Now, Jesus' definition of glory should hit us from a few different angles. Jesus' approach to glory that the highest glory is achieved when it's not just for you, but when it is also shared with people you love. That is not our natural definition of glory. Jesus' definition of glory convicts us because our natural, sinful definition of glory is this glory. just when people blatantly brag and promote themselves, but it shows itself in much more subtle ways too. Now when it's time for me to share some credit, some glory with other people, I will do whatever I can to try to hide it. If I have to list the names of everybody who worked on the project, I'm going to find a way to list mine first. I think this time we should list the names alphabetically. Sir, last time we listed them reverse alphabetically. Well, that's because Abramowski was on the project. See, this is our natural approach to glory. Now, I have to say as much of it as I can for me, because there's like this finite quality of glory, and any more for you must mean less for me. Our Savior Jesus does not approach glory that way. Jesus, the greatest glory, is elevating not only yourself, but sharing it and elevating others together with it. So, Jesus gives us the glory, first the glory of heaven, and then the glory of God, so that we will have it too, and have it with him for eternity. So that is Jesus' people. Where do we find our glory? We find it in Jesus, of course. In Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sin. In Jesus, we are God's children, and we have eternal glory. Exactly. 